This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. Stay standing as Missy comes to read the word. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are... Christ, uh, ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Amen. Be seated. It is good to be home back with you guys. And, uh, and I say that because it really does feel like home here. I have most of my family, my mom, one of my siblings who live back in Savannah. I grew up there, uh, but you know we moved here almost 10 years ago with Pastor Mark, and uh, it really does feel like home when we're here. Funny enough, I had to move here to figure out that this actually is home for my family. Uh, I'm one of four Thaxton men not to grow up in Paulding County since, I mean, going all the way back to at least I know for sure 1820s, I uh, was one of four Thaxton men not to grow up in Paulding County. So I'm a Paulding County man uh, by, uh, you know, her inheritance. Uh, funny enough, whenever I was here as youth pastor, I took Dale Donashi home with me one time. My dad, who I'm going to talk about today, um, was rebuilding his relationship with his dad, who grew up here, uh, grew, grew up right off Hiram Sudi Road. And uh, Dale, who's from Hiram as well, was over at the truck talking to my granddad, who I don't know as well as probably most of you or some of you know your granddad. And at the time, that was one of the, that was one of the first times we had all hung out together in a long time. My dad and granddad are rebuilding there, and so this is you know some years ago before my dad passed away. And so Dale's over by the truck. He's talking to my granddad. Dale comes over and he says, "You didn't tell me your granddad grew up in Hiram, because Dale grew up in Hiram, went to Hiram High School, all that." And I was like, "Well, I didn't know." So come to find out, going all the way back to Thomas Thaxton, who moved here. They planted the Flint Hill United Methodist Church over there off Hiram Sudi, And I uh, go into that graveyard, and it, all my ancestors are there. And funny enough, my granddad, when he went into the military, they misspelled his name, T-H-A-X-T-O-N. But the proper spelling that he was born with is T-H-A-C-K-S-T-O-N. And uh, he just decided not to correct them. So I have a misspelled name. Uh, and so when on Facebook, my granddad says Al Thaxton Thaxton. He has both spellings so that everybody can find him. 
Um, I felt this week as I was praying that the Lord just released me to share a message um, that I've been really working on for years, talking to my bride about, and it's connected to this scripture, which I've never preached publicly. I preached it Wednesday night, the first time at my friend's church in Tifton, but it's a very different message this morning with you. I feel uh, the Lord finally released me to share a message about my dad connected to this. Um, if you wanted to title it, you could call it, I Think He Made It. And um, this message that Paul is sharing here is a very controversial message. It's the message of reconciliation. It's the message you find over and over in his epistles. It's the message of justification by faith, a message that is at the heart of every revival that has happened in the last 500 years going back to the Protestant Reformation. It's the message that changes lives, that he became so that we could become. The message that enslaves lives is we become so he will become. I will become something different than what I am now so that Christ will become my Savior. That's not the gospel. That's what a lot of people believe. A lot of people believe that they have to make themselves something for Christ to love them. They have to do something to earn his love and attention. But the gospel message is he became so we could become. Doesn't that feel like it doesn't fit in your heart even when I say it? Because instinctively, we want to earn God's love and attention. We like, we like the rules. That's why we've created so many of them. That's what Acts 17 says. When Paul was at Mars Hill, he said, There has been a time in human history that by the imagination in the hands of humans, they have designed beautiful things. But God tolerated that ignorance. But now he has appointed a Savior, Christ Jesus, who resurrected from the dead, showing us that he is God's Son and the Savior of the world. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead according to his righteous standard. We do design beautiful things. All over the world, you can find temples and ritual and rule that we came up with in our best attempts to earn his love and attention. It is a compelling and persuasive message. Become so he will become. But the gospel is he became so you could become. It's the message of reconciliation that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. You're a part of the new creation. And Paul was the greatest ambassador of this because he himself was a murderer and a persecutor of the church. The fact that he was the one carrying it to many who heard it saw him, him as the ambassador as a compromise to the message when in fact all it was was an empowerment of the message. That the one who was so flawed and had committed so many terrible things was the one that God selected to carry it. And many of you believe you're not worthy enough to carry this message that God became so you could become because you don't think you've become what you need to become yet. But the truth is he became for you what you needed him to become so that you could carry it. Many people who heard Paul preaching would have undoubtedly said, oh yeah, he calls himself Paul, but we know who he really is. That's Saul. His mama was a Saul. His daddy was a Saul. He's going to always be a Saul. I know he's saying everything they want to hear 
putting on a good show, putting on the religious face, doing the song and dance, but we know who he really is. So Paul, with boldness, every letter he wrote said, I, Paul, according to the will of Christ Jesus, I am the righteousness of Christ Jesus. He became sin who knew no sin so that I could become the righteousness of Christ Jesus. He became so that I could become. We don't, some of us, like that message. Because you know what it does? It makes us all equal. Now there it is. It makes us all equal in need. None of us is morally superior to the other. None of us has a greater reason for God to love us. None of us have done anything terrible enough for that message not to apply to us. But because so many of us instinctively believe, I must become, so he will become, we view ourselves not through Christ, but we view ourselves through Adam. We don't see ourselves through the power of the resurrection. We see ourselves through the power of the rebellion. We don't pray with peace and grace knowing that Christ has done all the work on our behalf. Instead, we pray with shame and guilt thinking that we must add to his blood and do something so God will listen to us and love us. The truth is, he is a good high priest who came to us because we could not go to him. He built a bridge from heaven to earth because we were unable to build a bridge from earth to heaven. He became sin so we could become the righteousness of Christ Jesus. He became so we could become. And because he's our good high priest and lived a sinless, morally perfect life and was sacrificed as the Lamb of God for the sin of the world and has felt all that we feel, experienced all that we experience, and was hung between heaven and earth, he's a good high priest who can relate to you with every weakness and need. And although in your heart you feel like you need to limp into God's presence, the book of Hebrews says that you can enter boldly. Although your heart condemns you, you can enter confidently because the great high priest Christ Jesus of this new covenant has sprinkled his blood upon the mercy seat of heaven on your behalf. And there's nothing you need to do. You need not work for his love and attention. All the work has been done for you. That message changes lives. But the message that enslaves lives is become like us. It's so subtly wrong. It feels like it's the same thing, but it's not. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What does that mean? That means on the day he saved you, he also sent you. The day he saved you, he also invited you to lead. He didn't just invite you to follow, he invited you to lead. He gave you a living examples in addition to his living word so that you could learn how to live the life of Christ and set an example for others to follow. A flawed example. A living, flawed example that others could learn from. Humbly. Honestly, not pretending to be something that you're not, but being open, boasting in your weaknesses so that his strength would be made known through you. Paul's apostleship in this letter was being criticized and questioned. When he wrote this letter, more than likely his last one, 
he was talking about a letter he had previously written where he had used severe language and severe words. And at one point in this letter, even says, it grieves me to know that I afflicted you so much, but I rejoice in knowing that my words have produced in you a godly grief. And godly grief produces true repentance, which leads to salvation. In other words, he's saying, I rejoice that you are now realizing that the former life you lived was leading to death, and now because you have died in Christ, you will live. But Christ died for you so that you can live his life. The big idea, the thing Paul wants us to know, is that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And he says, I was not only a recipient of this message of reconciliation, but I've been entrusted with the message, a carrier to take this message that I was invited on the same day I was invited to follow, I was invited to lead. I was invited to learn how to become an example and be a living example that others could learn from as a former persecutor of the church and murderer that God would use me to show people that he does not hold your past sins against you when he calls you, but instead sees you from where you're going, not from where you've come from. He sees your future in him. And the most wild thing about it is, every single one of us in this room, as we have done in our lives, when we have heard the good news of the gospel and we have tried to take steps forward and share with people the transformation that's happening in our life, the people who know us from our past will doubt what we say and not take us seriously because they know our past. But those that meet you today will doubt your past because they know you now. When you try to tell them about the things you've done because they only know you from this moment, from where he's transformed you, they doubt that the story you're telling them is even true. But for those that knew you then, when they hear you talk about where you are now, doubt your seriousness. You're a Saul claiming to be a Paul. You are an anyone, if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old is passing away. It is gone. Now how does that make sense? This is hard to believe. That's what I'm trying to tell you. This message sounds so good, but man, is it hard to believe. Let me tell you how much I know that. My dad, for most of my life, was Superman. Worked so hard for his family, was involved in his community. Started out working at the railroad with no high school education, building a family, gets fired. Learns how to be a tree surgeon, builds a business, takes care of his family, does the best he knows to do. Doesn't have a relationship with God, but marries a preacher's kid who had run away from home. And so he starts to experience these fragments of faith. He starts to have these moments where he has hints of God's presence and the power it can have in your life. And through his relationship with my mom and her family, started to experience the love of God. Went to a church that many of my mom's family members went to. Had a powerful experience. Gave his life to Christ has three little children sitting on the row beside him, doesn't know anything about church, 
doesn't know anything about what's expected, doesn't know anything about all the rules that we create for each other, gets up at testimony time. Anybody remember testimony time? So my dad, full of life and zeal and happiness about the message of reconciliation that he's heard, stands up in a Pentecostal holiness church. And I don't have time to explain to you what that means. But he stands up in a Pentecostal holiness church wearing beach shorts, Sperry slip-ons, and a duckhead shirt, the way my mom described it. Anybody wore duckhead back in the day? Probably rocking all his little chest hair, had the buttons low. My dad dressed good, man. He always liked to smell good, look good, work hard, get showered, go out, have a good time. He was fun to be around. And the way my mom told it, he would stand up and tell the story of what God was doing in his life, how he was being introduced to the gospel. And somebody came up to my dad after that service that night, told him, if you really love God, he should shave his beard, put on some pants. And my dad was responsible. He should have found a better place to worship. I think we'd all agree about that. But for my dad who didn't know anything, he interpreted that moment as, I don't need this. I got enough going on in my life. I've heard this message that God loves me. I don't need this. And so he left and my family left and I didn't grow up in church. So you had fragmented faith with my mom and a real jadedness in my dad. And about the time I was 13 years old, my dad gets injured on the job. Pulley system breaks while they were moving a tree. Log swings over, breaks his leg. Has no insurance, has four mouths to feed at home and his wife, taking care. Mom and dad just trying to figure things out. We were just your little dirt road, South Georgia family. So my dad is prescribed a variety of medications and to manage his pain takes more than he should and then takes more and then takes more and then takes more. Fast forward some years later, my dad's addiction, full blown, just spills out into our lives. And now this time it's not just addiction to medication, he's an alcoholic and here we are, a little family with no faith foundation, mom with fragmented faith trying to figure things out and my dad with this old story of a time in his life where he was moved by the gospel excited about what could happen but had not matured in that faith at all but there was a moment when he heard this message of God's love and he responded but because at the moment he received the message somebody said we're going to clean you up now he left and so here you have a man who genuinely believed in God genuinely believed that if he did right, God would do right. He had the whole mentality. If I become, he will become. Because I haven't become, I'm not good enough for him. I'm not good enough for his love. I'm not good enough for God to help me. I'm not good. I've got to earn God's love. I've got to become something. I've got to fix me before I pray. And so my dad starts walking through this season where now his addiction is fully known. And he just hits the bottom. So, at that point, you got a little revival that starts in my mom and in me because my mom, who had this faith, returned to what she knew. She went to this church nearby, renewed her faith in Christ. All, me, all my siblings, come to faith in Christ for the first time in our life. And my dad, who now wasn't in the picture, is witnessing something happening for his family. It's not happening for him. But... He wanted it. And he had all of these layers 
in his mind and his heart that he would talk to us about. And I didn't understand these things that had happened to him. I didn't understand these experiences. I didn't even know about them. He had never talked about them until I became a Christ follower and I wanted my dad back and I believed that God could do anything for him and so I would just talk to him and share with him and pray with him and there was such a strong resistance from him toward me he just wouldn't listen and it created such a strain on our relationship but as things got worse and worse and worse I saw his heart melt but I also saw the addiction become stronger and stronger and stronger and then he finally came to a moment where he had such a powerful addiction in his life, yet also at the same time a great desire to love God and live like he loved him. But having this core belief, I must become so he can become. The reality is this is what most of us believe. It may not have had those powerful of effects in your life like it did for my dad, but it could. That if you believe you must become so Christ can become something in your life, you are living right on the edge of those kinds of dangers. You are living in a state where if you were to face the most difficult things life can throw at you, you would find that your faith was very fragile or even non-existent because you're basing your spiritual health or your right to talk to God based on your performance, your abilities, your morality, your good works. But Paul came preaching this wild message to have a relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth is to know his son and believe that he died your death on the cross so that you could live his life. He came preaching a wild message that I am the foremost of sinners, but yet God has entrusted me with this message to carry it to the ends of the earth and let others know that through Christ you can be reconciled to God. That although in your heart, instinctively, you want to make peace with God through your actions, God made peace with you through His. That although you want to earn His love and attention, He has freely given it to those that will receive it. But man, we struggle with this. Why? Well, listen to what Paul said. He said, therefore, if anyone, 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 me included, I'm an anyone. After everything I've done, I'm an anyone. After everything I've not done, I'm an anyone. After everything they've done, they're an anyone. After everything they've not done, they're an anyone. And there it is. It's not only how we see ourselves, it's how we see others that makes this message so hard to believe. Because there's two significant moments in human history that play into this. There's the day of rebellion and there's the day of resurrection. And on the day of rebellion, our ancestor decided that good and evil was better to be decided in his hands, in their hands. We will determine good and evil for ourselves. We will be our own God. And on that day of rebellion, God loved the world so much that he made a promise. He didn't even let the sun go down on that day before saying, through the offspring of this couple, I will bring an heir. And although his heel will be struck, he will crush the head of the one that strikes him and will destroy what was broken on this day. That death came through this man, but righteousness and life will come through his heir by what I do. 
And so the reality is all of us are those ancestors. We were born as descendants of Adam, meaning we are participants in this rebellion. We've inherited the nature, the affections, the emotions, the desires. We inherited our flesh, which wages war against our soul. But when we are born again in Christ, we receive the same spirit that was alive in him. God, the third person, come into human history to send us, not just save us, send us. We are born again into a new life. We inherit eternal life. Heaven starts in our hearts the day we decide to follow. We're not required to become so he will become. He becomes so we can become. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And this is such a great message, but again, it's hard for us to believe because he's saying anyone, including me and them. So what does that say? That says you don't, although you say you know God, you love Jesus you don't view yourself through Jesus or them through Jesus. You view yourself through Adam. And you view others through Adam. You behold them through the flesh rather than the spirit. You behold them through the rebellion rather than through the resurrection. In our own lives, the way we see it is I'm told to pray. I'm told that I should talk to God. I'm told that I have a right to have a relationship with Him and that nothing I do can separate me from His love. Yet, in order for me to feel confident to talk to Him, I need to do some good things. Although we've heard the message, the good news, that we've been reconciled to God through what He's done on our behalf, before I feel confident enough to talk to God, I need to overwhelm the bad stuff I've done with some good stuff. And then I'll feel confident again to actually pray to Him like I used to. If I can just do some good things, then I'll have some confidence again to pray. And then when it's pointed outwardly toward other people, I think to myself, looking at them and judging them, they should do differently they should act differently, talk differently, behave differently. They should before God will. God shouldn't for them because they've done. Got on and on and on, pointed outwardly. It's the same thing, viewing people or ourselves through rebellion rather than resurrection. And what Paul tells us in this is, I myself, not only a recipient of this message, I've been entrusted with this message. I'm the greatest ambassador of it because Jesus did not hold my rebellion against me when he loved me. He didn't view me through the actions and murders and evil acts that I had done. Instead, he saw what I could become through his resurrection. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a part of the new creation. In other words, this age, this world is passing away. Paul said, the outer man wearing away, inner man being renewed day by day. Yes, I inherited flesh from Adam, but I've been born again and have inherited a spirit from Christ. And that spirit is renewed day by day as the old man is wearing away. When I'm baptized, I symbolize this transaction. The old man goes under the water. The new life comes out of the water. And I say, I'm a follower of Jesus, not based on anything I've done, but I am 
justified by faith alone, Christ alone. I've been justified. It's not anything that I've done to become so he could become, but instead he became so I could become. But this is so hard to believe because what Paul's saying doesn't make sense. I mean, he says the old has passed away. What? Wait, 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 wait. The old has passed away? No, 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 no. I see it every day. I'm living in it every day. See, this is the problem the person had at my dad's funeral. At my dad's funeral, what people knew about my dad was that he had tried to love God. That's the, the mindset people had about him. They, he had tried to love God, but he was an alcoholic. Now look at him. He's 55 years old, heart attack from drugs and alcohol. He's in the grave. No telling where he is. He tried to love God, but he didn't love God. He proved that. So somebody came up to me while I'm standing over my dad at his viewing, and they said into my ear, I think he made it. think he made it. You know what they were saying? They were saying, I'm looking at your dad through Adam, David, and I think he made it. Because from what I know about him, he didn't love y'all. He showed you that. He tried to love God, but he didn't really. But what I knew about him was that at those rock bottom moments, he would cry out. I'll never forget I was in my house, up on that hill, looking down at this church when I lived here. I was on the phone with him. He was in rehab. And he said, David, I had a, a realization today. I was talking to my Christian counselor. And she helped me realize some things from my childhood that had played into where I went as a young man. And then things that happened that even you kids didn't know about. And I realized what I was doing. I was trying to, to put on this show like I had everything together. And in order to keep that image I had to lie every day to your mother, to you, in order to protect this image I wanted to have that I was the, the tough guy that could handle everything. I had to lie. And the reason why it was easy for me to become an addict was because I was already a liar. I heard those moments. I heard the moment my dad could cuss you up and down one side or the other better than any person I have ever met. He was fluent in sailor. He could do it better than anybody. And it's not something that ever exited his vocabulary. So much so, when he was in rehab, his last time, he was in this small group setting. This was a, a place that was open to all spiritualities, all roads, many different roads to the same God, that kind of thing. And my dad dropped an F-bomb in the middle of a gospel presentation. And it went something like this. This guy started talking about the new age faith that he had discovered. And my dad said, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but there's one God, one Lord, Jesus Christ, who died our sins. And We all feel so crazy. This message is so hard to believe because every day 
our flesh pulls and our spirit pulls. Adam's talking, Jesus is talking. Every day we want two things at one time. We want to be rebellious and obedient, faithful and unfaithful, loving and unloving, forgiving and vengeful. We experience both desires at the same time. We are paradoxical people. And it is the Word of God that is alive that teaches us to obey the truth of Scripture rather than what we feel. It is the battle that all of us are in learning how to live the life of Christ according to what he's done, not anything that I do to earn his love or attention. I'm not earning the love of God. I'm learning the love of God. Every single day by reading my word and praying and devoting myself to good works, I've not gained any credit in heaven, but instead I've become a messenger of the message I received. Although the lie says I can't carry it until I'm good enough, the truth is I was told to carry it the day that he saved me. The day he saved me is the day he sent me. And it doesn't matter how much of a junkie you are. On the day you receive the message, you are recruited to share the message. And for no matter where you've come from, what you've done, for those that will hear it from you, they will receive it. Now, there'll be plenty who won't receive it because of who they believe you are and what they think you deserve. But for Christ Jesus, who showed you what he believes you deserve, he believed that you deserve the love of God so much that he came to die your death and has entrusted you with the message that changes lives and will transform the world. And so we must love as we've been loved, and we must not hold people's trespasses against them as our trespasses have not been held against us. This is what Paul says. He says, you know what? Love controls us. The reason why we can live like this is because love controls us. Adam no longer controls us. Love through Christ controls us. I made the mistake, says Paul, one time before of beholding someone through the flesh who was Christ, and I missed the bread of heaven while he walked on the earth. I had to be knocked off my horse on the way to Damascus to know him, but he was alive while I was the superstar of the Sanhedrin. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. We don't know where he was at the crucifixion, but we do know he was present at the stoning of Stephen and approved upon the death of that young man. So Christ had to knock him off his horse for him to know and understand the bread of heaven that is Christ. And Paul says, I'm not making that mistake again. I made that mistake by viewing Christ through his flesh. He didn't fit my interpretation of the scripture. And so Christ showed me greater love by not holding my past against me and using me. Therefore, as I go out and I make this appeal to people, be reconciled to God who became for you what you needed him to become so you could become. As I share that message, I don't look at them through Adam. I look at them through Christ. Not only that God can save them, but that he can send them. Love controls us. Sin no longer controls us. So whenever we hear sermons like this or messages like this, we just have to ask ourselves a question. Okay, well, how do I grow? I don't want to just be excited and moved and reminded about what I've heard today, but how do I grow? And you have to listen for two things, I believe, whenever you're hearing the word of God. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit guiding you himself, saying to you one of two words, no or go. Right? Stop doing this, start doing this. What you've been doing, no longer do it. What you haven't been doing, start doing it. It is a moment of transformation that happens. And so we're challenged in this moment by the scriptures to no longer see ourselves and others through Adam. 
There's no need, if you know Christ, for somebody to be at your funeral saying, I think he made it. Because it has nothing to do with what they became so Christ could become. It has everything to do with what Christ became so they could become. And the, the message itself is, Christ was with my dad through everything he went through. Even on his worst day, he could have cried out and received full mercy, presence, and help. Just like you, right now, can receive the same. And already in your heart, you're saying to me, man, that seems like radical grace. Good! You haven't preached grace until you've been told you're radical. If you're worried about sanctification, that's what the church is for. The church was sent here to be a community to teach you and love you and help you to grow in this faith. But we're talking about entrance into this community. We're all crazy all putting on a show. We're all a problem, but we're all also a solution because we've been given the Holy Spirit. As crazy and flawed as we all are, we can minister to each other. That in itself is a part of this message. And on your worst day that you think you need to earn more love and attention before you can be used or even talk to God is the day that Christ is ready and accepts your repentance with joy. There is a celebration from him to you. We sang about it this morning. We feel like we're not good enough to talk to the one who's chasing us. That's the message that churches have been singing about for two years. So we must also go forward. We can't just no longer. We must also go forward seeing others through Christ, not Adam. Seeing ourselves through Christ, not Adam. Trusting that whatever moral transformation needs to happen in me, Christ himself will fuel it. Oh, now there's part two that I'll have to come back and preach. Because that's the part that we get confused on. You need to improve morally before God will love you. When the truth is, he became moral perfection so you could be morally transformed. That's the kingdom of God. God is transforming the world one heart after another. And a part of that message is, I use hearts that are in progress. I use hearts that are pending. I use hearts that are mature and hearts that are immature. I use people who've received it fully and people who've received it partly. I receive people and use people from the worst of the worst to the best of the best. And I show everybody that they're equal at the foot of the cross. Not one of them is superior to the other, needing the love of God. So I save them and send them the day they say yes to carry that message forward. So what do we go and do? Well, I would end today by saying we must not give up on ourselves and we must not give up on others. I challenge you just for a moment to imagine what would have happened to you if someone had given up on you whom God had sent to show you his love. Everybody would agree and say, yeah, God's loving me. God's loved me, and I don't know where I would be without him. But you have to expand on that story a little bit and remind yourself that the reason why you know God loves you is because God has sent people. He sent authors of Scripture. So if your, your knowledge of God's love is that comes from Scripture, it's because God sent an apostle 
or a person to write that scripture. If your knowledge that God loves you is present because you've encountered it through a person, then recognize that. It was a serve team, an outreach, a, a church service. It was something that God used imperfect people to show me, another imperfect person, his perfect love. My dad was addicted in the middle of rehab, dropped an F-bomb, and shared the gospel. What is your excuse? You don't need to become to be sent. You become as you are sent. A few weeks ago, Seth came up to me with a toy. My children don't use toys for the purpose they're made for. They just try to find the highest point in the room and drop it. I, I imagine in my, my son will hold a toy and say, man, look at this material. It is perfect to be dropped on tile. What a sound it'll make. But toys nowadays are fancy. This toy was made to come apart. And it had come apart because Seth had dropped it from so high. And he brought it to me and he said, it's too broken. In his heart, that meant I can't play with this anymore. Because he thought, it can't be fixed. And then I took it and put it back together. And right now in Seth's mind, I am a toy magician. Because he has seen something that he thought was broken beyond repair put back to use. And I would say that many of you are probably not motivated to share this message because you've not been patient enough to see a life transformed. Just like someone gave up on you, you have given up too quickly on others. You may not be present the day the truth transforms them, but you are called to share the truth every opportunity you have. You haven't been left alone to do this. You've been clothed with power to be a witness to the end of the earth. The Lord works with us as we share the message of reconciliation. He accompanies our words and our works with wonders to authenticate his gospel. Resurrection power is present in our life and is seen whenever we decide to share this good news because God loves them so much he sent you. And although you may not experience the result you want in that exchange, he is using you to either plant a seed, water a seed, or reap harvest in someone's life. But we're all called to plant, to water, and some of us may be lucky enough to be present on the day that a truth transforms their life. An act of kindness, a prayer, a moment, but we all have to be patient enough to not give up. So there's two ways we need to respond to this this morning. We need to embrace the freedom that no one at your funeral needs to say, I think they made it. Because Christ has destroyed that lie. And so we need to receive that today if we don't have it. If we've not received the message of reconciliation, we need to receive it and believe in the Lord Jesus and turn to him as our Lord and Savior. So that's going to happen in this room. But for those of us who are saved, we need to realize we are also sent. You've been sent in the condition you are in today. In the condition you are in right now, you are a messenger of reconciliation. And he transforms you.
as you go. We've said this for two generations. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. That's all I'm saying to you. I love Bobby Bowden's quote. Who led Mark Rick to Christ. God doesn't need your ability. He needs your availability. Bobby Bowden. Bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.